It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't, and of course, will it stick? What's up, Alexis? Oh, nothing. Just another day in the neighborhood over here. <laughs> Living the dream. Living the dream. It, this is fun, though, when we get to, like, spend time together and it's not, like, normal work. It's this. Yeah, this isn't work. This is fun. Yeah. So there's really no good transition into the topic for today because it's about smoking. Oh, nasty. And not even smoking cannabis. It's about Most smoking cigarettes. Tobacco? Ew. Yeah. But I used it's to smoke in college. Did you? Well, not like a smoker, but like, you know, we'd go to the bars and I'd have a cigarette because I thought it was cool. And that was so not cool. I smoked in college too, and it disgusts me now. But I actually was such a goody two shoes, like my whole life until sophomore year of college. One friend was like, What? You've never tried a cigarette? She gave me one, and then I smoked for two years. Ugh. Gross. I and remember you could smoke in bars. So let me tell you a story about smoking in bars. So I used to like, I mean, we're girls, we don't like to wash our hair every day. Right? Yeah. It's like not good for your hair. So we would go out for ladies' night on like a Tuesday night, and I'd have like an 8 a.m. class on Wednesday morning, and I'm not gonna like wash and blow dry my hair. So I would use dryer sheets to get the smoke smell out of my hair. Like braid dryer sheets in your hair? No, like rub my head with dryer (laughs) sheets, like vigorously. I hope everyone has a visual of that. Melissa just sitting there rubbing dryer sheets all over her head. I mean, that was before dry shampoo. I feel like dry shampoo would totally fix the problem or like dry bars triple sack spray that smells so good. Maybe you were an innovator. (laughs) I don't think so. I think people did that back in the day. Gross. I remember that. Yeah, I remember, like, your clothes would smell, your pillow would smell. It was just disgusting. So I'm so happy we don't have to deal with that anymore. I never see anyone smoking on the street. Sometimes when people walk, like, in the crosswalk and I have my window down, I, like, gag. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on. So (laughs) now we've established how we feel about smoking cigarettes. Did you know that it was actually totally taboo for women to smoke cigarettes in public until the late 1920s? Crazy. Like, they weren't allowed to. And they just didn't. That is, I can't even imagine that now. I know, it's super weird. So there was a period of time when there was this like major stigma around women smoking. And if they did, they only did it in the privacy of their own home, like by themselves. I don't even think around their husbands. So as it turns out for cigarette companies, like this was kind of bad for business. Like, yeah, they're missing a mega market segment. 50% of the population, right? Right. So... They really wanted to get women smoking. And so today we're going to talk about how one stunt made that happen. All right. Let's get right to it. So we're going to go way back in time. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. The year was 1928. Oh, my favorite. I think (laughs) because I always picture like what year I'd go back in time and like the 20s, their outfits. The Warren 20s. Kind of like your skirt today. I am wearing like a flapper-esque kind of skirt. It's actually my country dancing skirt. Maybe we should like dress up for these podcasts. Like get in theme. theme. (laughs) Oh, you just spoke my language. If I'm like a theme girl, like theme party, theme day, whatever I can get in costume for, I'm You're the most – you – are so funny. You love Halloween so much. I don't know any other adult who loves Halloween more than you. And you don't even do the traditional, like, 
I'm going to sex it up on Halloween. You're like full on minion or like some weird ass costume. I was a deer and Wes was a hunter this year and my makeup was like on point. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Well, so put yourself back in 1928, flapper outfit and everything. Okay. Okay. There was a guy named George Washington Hill. He, not the OG George. Okay. Not like the the president of the United States, but he was the president of the American Tobacco Company. Okay. Okay. George. He just so happened to own the most popular brand of cigarettes at the time, Lucky Strike. Oh, surprising. Not Marlboro. No, Lucky Strike was number one. So he was frustrated because he knew he was leaving a lot of money on the table. The company was rolling in the dough selling cigarettes to men, but as we established, women were just not smoking. Which is crazy. How much was a pack of cigarettes then? Oh, my God. I don't even know. Let's Now it's like $10, $10 a pack. Like, how do people even afford to smoke cigarettes? It is so expensive. We'll have to find out how much they were because that's so interesting. But, no, it's so crazy expensive. Tobacco use among men had soared after the First World War, especially since cigarettes were actually included in the soldiers' like rations. Oh, they like gave them, they gave them cigarettes, cigarettes like in a little, you know, to go pack. <laughs> Probably like the, well, they're all to go pack. <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't serve you cigarettes at a restaurant and be like, sit here and enjoy your cigarettes. <laughs> All right, right. (laughs) Okay. So at this time, smoking was seen as like really manly. It was tough. It was a little dangerous, but like sexy dangerous. The only women who were smoking, like in movies, they were on screen. They were like the villainous prostitutes, like dirty girls. The bad girls. Bad girls. Yeah. Okay. So World War I happened, and it did bring a lot of change in how we viewed traditional gender roles. Men were away at war. Women began entering the workforce, and some even, brace yourself, started wearing pants. Oh, my gosh. Do you, did I ever tell you my thing in high school? Or I think it was actually junior high. No. Yeah. Is I, it about pants? It's about pants. Were you wearing them? I, like, refused to wear dresses. Like, I was a bad te- – well, first of all, I was a bad teenager, like, just really bratty and bad to my mom, which I feel so bad. Sorry, mom. But, yeah, I would shop at Goodwill and, like, buy these old man pants and wear them just, like, they were baggy old man pants with, like, a, a wife beater, like, a tight It's top. so weird because if you know Alexis, she's, like, wears only the cutest outfits, only with heels all the time. I cannot picture this. No, I, like, threw it. My mom wanted me to go to church, and I was, like, I will not wear a dress. And so I went, you know, she made me wear a dress. But, yeah, I was skater, like, You were a skater? Man. Like, were you actually a skater? Can you skateboard? I can skateboard. I can still do an ollie. I was teaching Caden the other night, and Wes is like, it's so embarrassed sitting on the rocking chair, like in front of her house. Like, (laughs) my wife is 39 years old trying to do an ollie. She's going to eat shit. I'm going to take her to the hospital. But I didn't. I was like the cool boy mom. I did not know that you were a skater. Did you wear Jankos? I don't even know what Jankos are, but I wore um, Skechers and like beanies, and like I thought it was badass. We'd like go smoke in the park and stuff. We would not have been friends <laughs> in that era because I was such a nerd. Like you would have been like, uh, she's not cool. I'm I was like, out with she's her. the judger. <laughs> you were probably a judger. I would have been totally. My sister would have been friends with you for sure. <laughs> so things have changed. Things have changed. And back to the story. A lot was changing in the Roaring Twenties, like I said, when it came to women's right, be it the right to vote or the right to smoke. And some women were smoking, like we said, but they were doing it behind closed doors, never in public. And what's crazier is that it wasn't just, like, frowned upon for women to smoke. It was illegal for women to smoke outside in some places. In 1922, a woman was actually arrested for lighting up a cigarette on the street in New York City, like, thrown in jail. Oh, my God. That's crazy. 
So nuts. It's so crazy how like women were not allowed to do so many things and and then they could get arrested. Mm -hmm. Crazy. So George Hill decided that now was the time for women to spark up. But before you're like, yeah, George, like you're such a feminist. No. He was like, more money. Yeah, That's he was he about the rolling in the dough. Yeah, so he was quoted saying, if I can crack that market, it will be like opening a new gold mine right in our front yard. And he was right. So George took a gamble. He tracked down a guy named Edward Bernays. Bernays. Yeah. These names. I know. He was a well-known PR guru at the time. And George first noticed Edward because of his work with the U.S. government's Committee on Public Information when Edward used his PR skills to convince Americans to get involved in World War I. Yeah, and that was not an easy task at the time. Like, there was a lot going on, and people were not excited about getting involved in, in the war. So he figured, if this Eddie dude can convince Americans to get on board with the war, like, he can convince people to smoke. Women to smoke? Easy breezy, right? All right, Mr. Bernays, let's see what you can do. Yeah, so I'm going to call him Eddie. It's just I like it better. Okay. Eddie, this is, we're going to kind of do a family tree here. Okay. Okay. So Eddie's father was a guy named Eli Bernays, who was the brother of Martha Bernays, who was the wife of Sigmund Freud. And his mother was Freud's sister, Anna. Like the Freud? The Freud. Okay. Wow. So the reason that's important is because, like, that's how Eddie got noticed. He would name drop Freud, like, all the time (laughs) just to get people to be like, oh, you must be important and know what you're talking about. So, like, that's how he got famous at first, was just name dropping. Well, of course. I'd name drop Freud. I know, for (laughs) sure. And so when a person – it was said that when a person would first meet Eddie, it would not be long until Uncle Sigmund would be brought into the conversation. Of course. Yeah. So he did receive a degree from Cornell University in 1912 – And his first career choice was journalism, but he apparently decided that PR was more lucrative, which is kind of funny because that's exactly my path. I went to college. I was in a major in magazine journalism, and it was PR was still in the journalism school, but I was like, hmm, make no money in magazine journalism or go into PR. Oh, you didn't want to just do it because PR people are pretty? (laughs) We one time, oh no, that's so bad. We had an intern, which we don't even remember who hired. You know, we were just, had a friend doing like informational interviews and she asked this girl like why she was in PR, like what was her passions, things like that. And she goes, well, I do PR because like I'm pretty, pretty people do PR. (laughs) So that's my passion. That really happened, and I hate to admit that. That is so funny. But he did not go into PR because he was pretty. (laughs) So he ended up actually building his own influence and reputation, like, beyond his relation to Freud. He just used that to kind of get there initially. He wrote a few notable books, which ended up becoming landmark texts. One of them is called Crystallizing Public Opinion from 1923, and one was Propaganda in 1928. And in the book Propaganda, he argued that scientific manipulation of public opinion is necessary to overcome chaos and conflict in society, and that manipulation is for our own good and the only way for democracy to work efficiently. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. So he developed some pretty, you know, amazing theories. And really, he's the first, like, PR pro that, like, a lot of textbooks, like, reference. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Super interesting. So— He was the right dude for the job. All right. So Lucky Strike was one of the brands that George Hill managed, like I said, at the American Tobacco Company. And it actually was acquired by the American Tobacco Company in 1905, but the brand itself was founded in 1871. Wow. Do you know where the name Lucky Strike came from? 
Like some match lighting up? No. It was was inspired by the gold rushes of the era and during which only about four miners out of every thousand were fortunate enough to strike gold. And so it was the name was supposed to connotate like a top quality blend. Oh. Yeah. There were a few other popular cigarette brands at the time, like you mentioned Marlboro earlier. That was around, but like it wasn't as big. Okay. And from what I could see, like no other brand had the same market share that Lucky Strike had at the time. So it was like perceived as the coolest brand. So George Hill hires Eddie. You're Eddie. following me? Yep. Okay. He pays him a retainer of 25 grand. Which wow. the year is 1928. So that is a lot of money, and that would actually equal like almost four hundred grand today for oh. the first retainer. We're not charging enough. We are not charging <laughs> enough. Eddie may have been like a PR god, but he knew it was not going to be easy to get women to embrace smoking as a symbol of their freedom. So for starters, like there was a major social stigma attached to it. In the 19th century, it was thought that like only sex workers were the ones standing on street corners smoking cigs or whatever in their, you know, houses. Yeah. And like I said, on screen, it was just like the villainous sly characters. So in an effort to get to the bottom of the problem and like identify a solution, Eddie hired a psychologist named A.A. Brill to find out what would make quote unquote respectable women smoke. Okay. Yep. So Brill found that cigarettes were seen by women as something just for men, and they were a phallic symbol. (laughs) Of course, a dude would say that. Of course. So he was quoted explaining, Cigarettes are like contraceptives. They are associated with sex without issue. They appeal to women who are willing to neuter themselves sexually in their admiration of masculine qualities. What? That's a little intense. He also said, it is perfectly normal for women to want to smoke cigarettes and that the emancipation of women has suppressed many of their feminine desires. More women now do the same work as men. Many women bear no children, and those who do bear have fewer children. Feminine traits are masked. Cigarettes, which are equated with men, become torches of freedom. That was his direct quote. And so, like, that's where the name for this entire So stems. Eddie's like, torches of freedom. Uh, he, the like, campaign. grasped yes. that. He was like, great name, dude. The rest of your shit like, sounds a little out there. I'm taking my 25 Take, grand. <laughs> taking my 25 grand, taking the name Torches of Freedom. Peace out, AA. So, like, with that fuel and the name for his campaign, Eddie got to work. And he soon realized that there was not just the, like, problem of getting women to think, like, oh, it's okay to smoke. He also had to teach women how to smoke properly. Isn't that weird? <laughs> That's crazy. What did he have, like, a, like, cigarette camp? Like, did he— <laughs> Well, supposedly the f- the few, like, normal women who did smoke in public would make a mess of it. And George Hill was, like, super stressed out that these bad examples would put off the fashionable socialite types who had the money to, like, buy his cigs. Okay. I just think it's so funny they had to educate. Like, can you smoke wrong? Well, I think because when you don't know how to smoke, you just, like, you don't inhale. You probably just, like, puff it. I guess. You know, or cough, and it's, like, awkward. So weird. So Eddie knew he needed to find women, and he wanted to hire these women as actors, essentially, for this project. Okay. He wanted to find women who could be convincing and appealing enough to, like, influence other women. It's like an influencer campaign in the 20s? A hundred percent. You nailed it. Eddie. But he also knew they couldn't be too untouchable. Like, they couldn't be movie star, beautiful quality. Or, like, that would just play into the existing stereotypes that, like, only vampy women lit up. Yeah. Right? So he wanted, like, everyday 1920s women. 
that were respectable and sexy. Yeah, totally. Okay. So Eddie saw his big opportunity with the Easter parade. Do you know what that is? Like what it was back in the day? No, but what are you picturing? I just got to know. Picture like those blimps, like the Thanksgiving Day parade. No, no blimps. So this parade was an annual event where women sashayed up Fifth Avenue in New York City in the latest spring fashion. Lovely. I want to sashay. I know. (laughs) So on March 31st, 1929, which happened to be Easter morning, a young woman named Bertha Hunt stepped out into the crowds on Fifth Avenue and lit up a Lucky Strike cigarette. She was followed by 10 other female models that Eddie hired. So all these 11 women pronounced their cigarettes as torches of liberty. They smoked and they held out their arms. And you can't see me, but I'm holding out my arms right now. <laughs> like she's going to sashay. <laughs> like I'm going to sashay. Like the Statue of Liberty. So they were like arms outstretched. And they, I don't know how their arms were outstretched. And With they were cigarettes. smoking. That's yeah. confusing to me. But sources Maybe one say, arm was out. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that called dabbing? It's like a <laughs> They were dabbing. It's really hard to go back from that. I know. <laughs> because we're, we're, we're actually it. acting it out. Yeah. So their, their arms are outstretched. They're smoking. They're proclaiming them as torches of liberty. And sources say that people, like, straight up lost their minds. They were like, what? <gasps> they were like, gasp in the crowd. It was the first time many spectators had even seen women, like, other than prostitutes, smoking in public. Crazy. So crazy. And in these, like, fancy spring dresses. Yeah, like spring (laughs) Easter fashions. Um, It was a major scandal at the time, for sure. And, of course, being the smart PR pro that Eddie was, he let reporters know in advance of Bertha's intentions. He basically put out a press kit. He, like, gave the reporters a press release, and it announced exactly what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. Brilliant. Did he email? I mean, he didn't email it. In 1928, there there was no email. So did he, like, deliver, like, this little, like, rolled-up scroll (laughs) to their door? I don't know. I mean, I don't think there was any technology. So, yeah, I think that they just passed news via telephone and paper, like, hand-delivered. Sources actually say that if he hadn't let the press know ahead of time, it definitely would not have resulted, like, in this huge movement that we now talk about. So that was a really important, you know, piece of the puzzle. The press release informed media that Bertha and her friends would be lighting torches of freedom in the interests of equality of the sexes and to fight another sex taboo. Smart. Yeah. He actually, like I said, provided them with all the press materials, and it illustrated that smoking was a form of liberation, and it was a way for them to express their newfound strength and freedom. And did he reference Lucky Strike? He didn't, which is interesting because he wanted it to not be so, like, salesy, which is smart. smart But then, God, all the other cigarette brands were like, yes, Eddie. Oh, totally, totally. Then, while Bertha and her posse are strutting up Fifth Avenue, a reporter with the New York Times caught up with Bertha and did a little on-the-spot interview. And she told him that she first got the idea to light up in the parade, in this parade, when a man on the street asked her to extinguish her cigarette because it embarrassed him. Oh, so she's like, she's screw like, you. F you, jerk. Yeah. So she said, quote, I talked it over with my friends, and we decided it was high time. I think that's how she said it. High time for something to be done about the situation. The New York Times then ran a story on April 1st, 1929, with the headline, Group of Girls Puff at Cigarettes as a Gesture of Freedom. Love it. Love it. That's a great headline. Yeah, they're making a statement. Yeah. 
So the days following that, like, New York Times article, the story and the photos spread in newspapers around the world. Like, it was a worldwide phenomenon. Eddie continued to emphasize the importance of the movement, and he added more propaganda that he knew would, like, totally capture. Take it to the next level. Yeah. yeah, like, capture women's attention and get them to choose Lucky Strike specifically. So, like, I think this was a stunt just to get women to accept smoking, and then he pushed out an ad campaign that was, like, specific for Lucky Strike. He talked all about the slimming properties of, like, Lucky Strike cigarettes in his marketing. And one ad actually said, reach for a Lucky instead of a sweet. So smart. So, so every woman's like, yes, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to smoke. Totally. Yep. So he portrayed it, and, like, the media really portrayed it as this glamorous choice of cigarettes. Do they have those fancy little sticks like Coelho de Vil? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. That's so interesting. I don't know if those were popular then. I assume. I know. I feel like, like that came out in the 20s, didn't it? Well, yeah, maybe. Like, that was, like, Audrey Hepburn in, like, the 60s. They were called, like, opera-length cigarette holders, yeah. I think. But I think I've seen them in pictures from the 20s. So. I feel like in the 20s. Remember we dressed up in that <laughs> 20s costume? Oh, yeah, we, we did. Those. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. What the world did not know at the time, of course, is what we already knew. Like, Miss Bertha Hunt wasn't just any young woman who was like, I'm standing up for freedom. She was an employee of this stunt, and she actually was also Eddie's secretary. Oh, my gosh. So I wonder, like, if he just walked in the office one day and was like, hey. Got a job for you. Hey, I got a job. Bertha. Bertha. Alexis, you're going to like this one. We have some good, good, good data from this. Awesome. So, How much did he make? How much did Lucky Strike increase sales? Yes. So from the moment this stunt occurred on Easter 1929 to the following Easter 1930, the sale of Lucky Strike cigarettes increased by 300% in one year. Oh, my God. And continued to increase for years to come. So the targeting of women in tobacco advertising led to higher rates of smoking among women in general. So in 1923, women only purchased 5% of all cigarettes sold. But in 29, that percentage increased to 12%. And then in 1935, it went up to 18%, and it peaked in 1965 at, like, 33%. Wow. And it stayed at that level till 77. And do you know why it slowed in the 70s? Why? Remember, like, in um, 1969, the Public Health Smoking Act. Oh, people actually realized they can die from cigarettes? Yeah. So, like, (laughs) people were just, like, dying of lung cancer? Exactly. So, like, that's when the Surgeon General warning, like, had to be on all packs of cigarettes. So, like— Smoking just kind of declined at that point. Yeah, because women are smart. And And actually, going back a little further, I found something else totally crazy about the marketing of cigarettes that I thought was so interesting. So, like, back in the 30s and 40s, like, we already know smoking was, like, at a high point. Like, everyone smoked, including doctors. Okay? What? So, like, all the Well, yeah, they didn't know. That's in the 20s. Yeah. Obviously. All the doctors smoked. And at the same time, in, like, the 30s and 40s, there was rising public anxiety about health risks of cigarette smoking. They started, like, questioning, and, like, I'm sure they were putting shit together. They were like, oh, this person died, and they've been smoking. So one of the responses that tobacco companies used to, like, get people to be okay smoking and not stressed about health risks was to actually put physicians in the ads. Oh, my God. So, like, they would have doctors smoking cigs in ads and, like, saying it was fine. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that crazy? Like actor doctors, not real doctors. (laughs) Who knows? So all in all, this 25 grand investment, I mean, it was a ton of cash for the times, but it was so well worth the money. Oh, of course. Lucky Mr. George was brilliant. He was super brilliant. And I kind of hope Bertha got paid like something a little extra. Or she was just like, he's like, you're my secretary. Sorry. Do you know the minimum wage? I looked it up at that time. 
was 33 cents an hour. And Eddie got 25 grand? Yeah. Yeah. He was loaded after that campaign. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah. So that's how women across the U.S. and the world became convinced that smoking was no longer taboo and instead was a symbol of freedom. Just sachet across the (laughs) town. Sachet with your smoke. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm glad smoking's not cool anymore. Me too. Anyways, before we wrap it up, I want to point out and thank my sources. There were so many great articles, and of course, we'll link them all in the show notes, but I loved History Today's article from February 2019 by Iris Mostgel, titled The Original Influencer. I also read Oxford Presents Case from June 2015, titled Edward Bernays' Torches of Freedom, as well as the blog entry titled Torches of Freedom on a website called Feminism 3.0. And then finally, Wikipedia, as always, had an awesome entry on Torches of Freedom as well. Oh, one more. There was a really good book that I actually recommend that people read by Larry Tai called The Father of Spin, Edward L. Barnes, and The Birth of Public Relations. Yeah, we'll link all those out. And that's all I got for you today. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Hi, friends and family. If you don't already follow us, follow us at Will It Stick Podcast on Instagram and visit our website at willitstickpodcast.com. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review every place you can. Yes. Thank you. We so appreciate you listening. And until next time. Bye. Bye.